Welcome to The Clarity Call, a podcast which provides encouragement and guidance for parents overwhelmed with the responsibilities of raising a child with special needs or has a medically complex diagnosis. Gain an enlightening perspective that helps dispel feelings of fear, uncertainty, or exhaustion as you venture into a life of peace, joy, and clarity. You're now on The Clarity Call with Alicia and Kimberly. Welcome to The Clarity Call, everyone. We're so glad you're back for another week. I'm Kimberly. And I'm Alicia. And we are super excited about our, uh, our episode today. We have a very special guest with us. So before we jump in with her today, we want to remind you who we are and what we're doing here. Um, we are sisters, and between us we have 16 children, six of whom have been uh, have a medically complex diagnosis or are considered special needs. And we have found that we want to be a support and provide encouragement for this community that so desperately needs um, the tools to work through overwhelm and exhaustion and worry and all of the things that come with being a full-time caregiver to um, medically fragile and special needs kids. It can be very challenging if you don't have the right support and, and help and community. So we are super um, grateful to be on this journey and, and, you know, have this opportunity to provide any help and support that we can through this process. I wanted to add fear to your list. Right? So much fear. Fear is a big one. Yeah, for sure. It can yeah. just creep up out of nowhere and then you have to find the tools and bring it back. Cause, right. You know, <clears throat> you can sit and worry. You can sit in some of those, those unfortunate negative, I like to call them negative, whether they're circumstances, but fear is a hard one. Well, because fear is a secondary emotion. So once it gets to fear, it's so much harder to come back from that. But yeah. um, anyway, so we are going to jump right into our reality check with Alicia. Okay, this is good. Okay. So we have this, you pretty much could call me at any time and my routine from 4.30, which now is becoming 3.30 and I'm not loving that, in the morning to 7.30 legit could call me. Um, you know exactly where it's I like am. Robotic. Yeah. Four hours of absolute surety where I'm at, what's happening. Okay. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, give or take, right. I am a mother of lots of kids, but that being said this morning, <laughs> as I was coming back from dropping off Brock and I tend to like put on our podcast. It's Tuesday morning. I like to hear us, whatever, but I get out of the car and I'm having a reality check. Uh-oh. Because I look down and I have my bottle of water, my Zip Fizz bottle. No, no. My tea, my lemon ginger tea. Mm -hmm. I haven't done my Zip Fizz at this point, but I have my water, my that. I have my wrapper from my protein bar I've just eaten. I have my glasses. I have my keys. And I, I'm like, oh my gosh, I need to be an octopus. <laughs> because I seriously... <laughs> have all of these things. And Every it's not like I have does. a bag that time in the morning. I'm just taking the kid to school. How did you, know, you get it all it. in the car? I guess I don't, I don't think before <laughs> then I'm just like, zoom, zoom, zoom. and I got the backpack, throw it all in the car, get the boy in. Here we go. Anyway, it was just funny to me because as I thought about that and I heard somebody say this morning, um, it's by the sweatshirt where I put all my bags because this is the mom that team teaches with me. Mm -hmm. And I thought to myself, I really am a bag lady. I am that bag lady. I have a bag. I have bags and bags. And, you know, my husband will laugh sometimes because to go to church, I seriously like throw in the food bag, throw in the church bag, throw in the, we might have this bag and that bag. And it's like, where are we going? We're just, every, I watch people walk in and they have their phone 
That's, that's me. <laughs> well, unless I have my kids with the me. Phone. Yeah. And it's like, if I go anywhere, I got a diabetic, I got this, I got that. I got to have all these bags. I should be an octopus. I should be too. I mean, uh, I have a whole wagon packed full of just stuff for Caden. <laughs> so I just became, I'm like, I text, I text you obviously. And I'm like, don't let me forget about the octopus this morning because I'm like, that is my reality check that why, why were we not sent with eight arms? Because we always have like one little thing, one little wrapper, one little this. And it's just like, let me just see how much more I can shove on my person. Yeah. As and I'm the man has got way. his wallet and his keys. Yeah. It's like, oh, oh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So anyway, amen. I'm just saying like, I don't know why us, and I know that it's moms in general. So I'm throwing that out there to the general public, however, or husbands, I mean, single dads, whatever. The bottom line is, is that, you know, when you got a lot of kids or special needs, you got a lot of stuff. Mm -hmm. So, okay. Anyway. Yeah, that's amazing. So our guest today knows all about this. Welcome to the podcast, Chelsea Jenkins. We're so glad you're here today. Thank you so much for having me. I am excited. This is a first for me. Yeah. With your Maggie, you can relate to having all of the bags and all of the everything that you need for all the equipment and supplies and all of it, right? Definitely. Um, for years and years and years, I've said, I feel like anytime we go anywhere, we take the whole house with us. Exactly. So, um, <laughs> yep. it, yeah. With her and having other children, there's always the diaper bag in tow and the feeding pump and the suction machine and yeah, the coffee and all the things. Yeah. So, so Chelsea, I'm, if you can't tell, right is there. a mother to um, a special needs now angel. And she's going to share her story with us today. But I know Chelsea because when um, I had to move to Houston so that Caden could come into the world at Texas Children's Hospital, um, just kind of a little backstory. We probably have mentioned this before, but in our religion, in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, anywhere you go in the entire world, you have a church family, you have a church community, which is an absolute one of the most beautiful and my favorite part about um, the, our culture, I guess, of the, the community of culture that is created inside our religion. So I went down there and knew I was going to need some support and family because I didn't know a soul in Houston. And so I went to church the first Sunday that I was in Houston. And Chelsea was part of the ward that um, I was living in while I was living at Ronald McDonald House. And so Chelsea was one of the very first familiar, beautiful, happy, welcoming faces when I went to church that first Sunday that I was living in Houston. And we um, immediately became kindred spirits and fast friends because she also had a special needs child. And I don't even, I mean, let's, can we just be honest for a minute? Because I, it feels weird to say had a special needs child have, I mean, she's still yours. She just isn't on earth with yep, us anymore. You know, so nope, she, she's invisible to the eye, but uh, our, our spirits definitely feel her close all the time. So mm. that's, of the many blessings that we have yeah that um, is so special so but Chelsea was just amazing she would come to the hospital and visit me she would check up on me at the Ronald McDonald house and bring me baskets of goodies and food and they would lend us things like air mattresses when we needed extra things and she just was constantly serving and loving and supporting and showing up for me for that entire 
journey that I had to live in Houston for. So, I mean, I feel like I've told her thank you over and over again, but truly, I just hope that you feel my gratitude. And it just is who she is. She just is this amazing, beautiful spirit that wants to serve and love and, and uplift in any way that she can. So thank you for just being that type of human. You're amazing. Well, thank you. That's probably one of the best compliments I've ever gotten it. Um, to everybody that's listening, um, Kimberly is the exact same way. Um, so it was not hard to become friends with her. Um, it was not hard to serve her at all. And I really, I feel very honored um, that I was able to serve her and her family and get to know her. And, and, that, and it was just such a blessing to me at the time too, to have such a kindred spirit that could relate to me um, where I felt isolated, as I know a lot of moms with special needs kids do. Um, You kind of get sucked into that world and it's hard for people outside of that world sometimes to relate and, and for you to feel like you can fully let go and open up to people and fully relate to other people. And feel like they just get it, right? It is. Yeah. Yeah, We we talk about a vulnerability a lot here and how it is such a big part of the challenge is Mm -hmm. just choosing to be vulnerable and, and letting our feelings and our you know, become very transparent. And that's a hard thing to do for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So start at the beginning with us and tell us your sweet story of Maggie. Okay. So I guess first thing you probably need to know is I have four kids. Um, my oldest is my daughter, Maggie. Um, and she would have just turned nine. She passed away in May of 2021. Um, and that was fairly unexpected um and we'll we'll talk about that a little bit later um and then I have three little boys a seven-year-old a three-year-old and a one-year-old just barely um so my my life is busy crazy I am a boy mom and I did not grow up with brothers so it's totally throwing me (laughs) (laughs) amen I'm a boy mom now too and it's I had five girls first, so I get yeah, you on that one. she had five one. girls, and now she just has three boys at home, so you guys are right on the same page. It's, it's a totally different scenario with boys. Yeah. So, um, so when my little Maggie was brand new, um, first thing we noticed about her is how well she held up her head. Um, she, she came via emergency C-section, which was definitely not a pl- part of the plan. Um, and that very first day in the NICU, my mom came in and she picked her head up off my shoulder and turned and watched my mom walk to the other corner of the room. And my mom and I both just looked at each other and went, babies aren't supposed to do that. Mm-hmm. Like, completely controlled. Like this is, this doesn't happen until three or four months at least. And, um, it continued that way for the first few weeks of her life. Um, and then I started to notice after I would give her a bath that her head control, um, she like couldn't lift her head up off the towel anymore when I was rubbing her down with her baby lotion and, and all of that. And it just over the next few days got worse. Um, and so over the next several months, we worked with the pediatrician to uh, come up with trying to figure out what was going on. Um, and at first they just kind of thought, Oh, you're a first time mom. You don't know what you're doing. You're paranoid. This mm-hmm. is just reflex. Um, but I will tell you, listen to that mom intuition because it is not wrong. Ever. 
<laughs> and uh, that, um, you know, we ended up starting some physical therapy and that helped a little bit, but definitely not to the extent that I or the pediatrician was expecting. Um, and so we ended up getting a referral to Primary Children's Hospital to genetics. And by the time we got there a few months later, she was about eight months old by this point. And they fairly quickly um, into that appointment, the geneticist said, you know, I really feel like this is SMA. And we had no idea what SMA was. Um, and I'm guessing most of the listeners probably don't. Right. SMA stands for spinal muscular atrophy. It is a neuromuscular disease um, and it is an autosomal recessive. So it's passed genetically from parent to child. Um, and if you remember back to your high school biology class, it's the when you had the paned glass window with the big A, little A, big A, little A. And when you have the two little A's down in the corner, that you have that 25% chance with each pregnancy. Um, that's the exact scenario that we were dealing with. Okay. Um, so there, with any uh, other pregnancy, there is a chance that any of our children would end up also having the same disease. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, the geneticist kind of gave us that news and left the room and came back a few minutes later and handed me a stack of papers, probably two inches tall. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Here's some light reading for you. And this <laughs> light reading. Oh, gosh. So this was in August and my husband and I were both students at Utah State University. And I looked at her and said, school doesn't start for another two weeks. Don't hand me a textbook yet. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, it, it turns out she had gone online and printed off um, all of the, like the newly diagnosed information from, um, at that time, it was families of SMA. Now it's Cure SMA. That's like their overarching um, community organization mm-hmm. um, kind of it's kind of like a, almost like a subcategory of the Muscular Dystrophy Association. Okay. Um, so, symptomatically, spinal muscular atrophy looks a lot like Lou Gehrig and muscular dystrophy, um, but in kids. Right. So, it's degenerative from the toes up, kind of from the inside out. Um, it affects muscles. Um, and a lot, mostly it's the, the longer neural pathways. So things like your legs, your arms, your extremities are kind of the first movements that you lose. Mm-hmm. Um, and then your body, you know, preferentially will, will keep your, your vital organs safe um, and do its best to keep that part of your body healthy so that you can live as long as possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, so... While we were there at Genetics, they said, we recommend that you do a swallow study. We did the swallow study. She failed miserably. Mm. And so they were admitting you because this is a really big deal. Yeah. And um, the next day we were able to meet with neurology who basically confirmed the diagnosis. Um, we got all the blood testing done and they said, you'll probably get that back within two weeks. But we're going to proceed as if this is the diagnosis anyway. Um, 
And so that, that's what they did. By the end of the week, she had a G-tube. She had a, um, she was hooked up to non-invasive ventilation. So really similar to a CPAP machine. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we had cough assist and suction and had been trained on all of that. And it was a whirlwind. Right. <laughs> so, and I'm sure there's, you know, many people listening will be able to relate to the overwhelm of that kind of a situation. Um, yeah. 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 That's It's amazing how fast and how you get through it and then you go, Oh my gosh, how did my brain even holding all of this information and how am I going to retain it? And how am I going to do this every day of my life? You know, and then on top of that, you have the, okay, now we're back home from the hospital. How do I do this myself? Right. Um, and that's, that's really overwhelming. And at the time we were both students. Mm-hmm. Um, we, up until a couple months before that, we had been managing apartments and, that was kind of necessary to fill the gaps in our income so that we could just survive. Right. We didn't have to be. So we ended up moving in with my in-laws for about a year. And that was a lifesaver. Mm-hmm. Um, the extra help that we needed. And um, we were very fortunate to live both with um, both around my husband's family and my family and had ample support. That's um, great. That village, we could not have done it for sure. There's absolutely no way. Yeah. So, so um, I just have a question for you. At what point do you believe your grieving process began? This was your first child. Yeah. Is that? Um, I mean, are you even there yet? I mean, I'm not yet now, but were you then? Were you just processing and in, in yeah. the go, or had you even considered that this is a child now that may not have a normal life? And at what point does the grieving process begin? I, in some ways, I feel like it even started before she was born. Um, wow. So I, I kind of alluded back to that, um, the Punnett Square in my high school biology class. I remember while we were sitting there doing that, I had a thought come into my head, oh, 25%. That's not a big deal. Like, that's almost nothing. Mm-hmm. And immediately, I remember having this thought in my head, that's going to come back and bite you one day. Oh, wow. <laughs> and, wow. So, you know, obviously grief didn't start then, but after she was diagnosed and we understood what that looked like, that thought popped back into my head and I was like, oh, okay, there was something to that. And even when I was pregnant with her, I felt like this intense need to have like a supplemental insurance plan that would cover um, any kind of like NICU stay or anything like that. I just, I really felt like I was going to end up with a baby that would need extra care. And I had thought that we'll have a NICU stay and then it'll be over with and we won't have to worry about this ever again. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, that's what I thought too. (laughs) 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 Not the case. Um, At at least for me, it wasn't. Right. Um, So I think, Really, from the time that I started noticing um, her head control kind of starting to, that ability starting to disappear, um, is when I really started to kind of think, okay, there's something else going on here. And I think 
um, I think there was some grieving that started there just mm-hmm. because you grieve that like my child is different than what the norm is mm-hmm. and I know that there's something a little bit off and so you kind of start to you start to pay attention to those kinds of things um, yeah. and realize that there's some differences and go but but why isn't my child rolling over yet why why isn't she doing this or that or why is she struggling to eat baby foods and and things like that um but I think the grief really set in um that first week um and then got significantly more intense um within the first couple of months after we got home from the hospital when she was diagnosed yeah um they had told us at the hospital um and then remember that she's eight months old at the time um they said don't expect your daughter to live past a year and I said you just gave me four months with my child right that's not okay yeah. <laughs> you know we had this long life planned mm-hmm. um yeah I came prepared with the tissues because I knew this was going to happen of course um and they you know they kind of proceeded to tell me you know we're hopeful that that there will be different drugs that come along, but in all honesty, they're in the beginning stages of development. Um, and there's not very many drug companies that are looking into this. Like yeah. you have an amazing doctor and she's going to be really aggressive in the treatment that she gives. And she has a good track record, but this is what it is. Yeah. So if she makes it past a year, don't expect her to live past two. If she happens to make it past two, don't expect her to live past three. Right. If some miracle she makes it to age five, expect that your total hospital, like your bill for all of your hospitalizations will be at least $5 million. Oh my gosh. I know. That just gave me the chills. Like it just makes you sick, right? Yeah. I just, yeah. And, and that was toward the end of the week when we kind of like got up the courage to even ask, what does the prognosis look like? Right. Because at that point, thinking, okay, like, She'll live to be 12 or 15, and then we'll really start to see a lot faster decline. Right. That was that was really the image that I had in my head, and I was not prepared for such a short life expectancy. Right. Um, it was not part of my plan. Yeah. Right. Well, of course. Yeah. So Maggie does live. Yeah. Um, for a lot longer we than five so years. Blessed. So blessed. <laughs> Um, I know a lot of the families in the SMA community will celebrate half birthdays and some of them right. even celebrate birthdays yeah. because they just don't know when this is going to be the last. Mm-hmm. And um, our, our route was a little bit different. We tried to focus more on just, just being present in the day to day, which is hard, you know, it, yeah, it's never an easy thing. Right. Um, but I feel like, particularly for the first year, that was a lot easier to just think about. Is it really important that I spend the extra time to make this project for school look fantastic and amazing? Or is it more important that I just get a decent grade and I spend that time with my daughter? Yeah, yeah. Puts things in perspective for sure. It does. Yeah. It does. So a really hard perspective to live with, but also really amazing and really rewarding. Yeah. Um, 
in a way that I wouldn't have imagined. Right. Yeah, for sure. So you, you know, since we're kind of trying to focus a little bit on grief today for those families that struggle so much with the pain and the, and the heartache that, you know, we're hearing through your emotion of your story, um, you know, you have to grieve that she's not going to turn into this, um, you know, daughter that you dreamed when you heard you're pregnant, you know, and so you grieve that. And you and I recently talked about how it's almost like you have to grieve the death of a child at that point, because they're not going to become the child of, you know, that you hoped and dreamed for them to be. And, you know, in your case, now you have a second grieving process with having lost Maggie, but tell us, so she lived to be eight years old. Yep. Eight years old. Um, and she was absolutely a spitfire. (laughs) Such (laughs) a strong spirit. I loved any time I got to see her and be around her because her spirit was so strong, so strong stuck inside this body that couldn't move nearly as much as it wanted to. She, she was a hundred year old spirit stuck in a tiny body yeah. with very limited movement. And so she, she expressed herself in every way humanly possible. And um, whenever we would end up in the hospital uh, for subsequent visits, um, nurses and doctors that had treated her before would go, Maggie Jenkins, I think, I think I've treated her before. And they'd walk in and they'd see her super expressive eyes. Mm-hmm. They go, Oh yes, I know Maggie. <laughs> her expressive eyes. And she always had to have her fingernails painted. Mm-hmm. Um, she was just like the epitome of the thing. Little girls are sugar and spice and everything nice. Mm-hmm. She had all the sugar and all the spice. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, perfect blend of that. And it was such a privilege to um, live with that. And, and to just see her personality and see especially how happy she was. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so you special. never saw her a frown on her face. And for me, um, for years and years and years, I've struggled with depression and anxiety. And so to have someone in my life who was such a perfect example of I'm really struggling here. This, you know, this is not easy to live with such limited movement. Um, but to see her so happy mm-hmm. all the time and trying so hard um, at all of her therapies, at trying to write her letters when she couldn't even grip a pencil, mm-hmm. um, it was inspiring. Oh, for sure. Yeah. How beautiful. that's how I feel about little Joss when I go over and help her every night, you know, and you know that she has pain, you know, that her head hurts, you know, that she goes through, she has bruises that, you know, I have this bruise on my arm and I'm like, she has lives with bruises like this because her pain tolerance is so high. And yet she just sings. She wakes up singing. She goes to bed singing. She's smiling and they do, they just have, they just emit pure joy and happiness. They, they get the bigger picture, right? You know? Yeah. So while, while your days were consumed with being Maggie's caregiver around the clock, um, and you had that light and joy in your life every day, can you help us understand now a little bit what your life looks like without her every day? So I think the, the biggest thing for me, um, 
in the first couple of months after she passed away was I just, I had felt like, you know, it's like she had really become my purpose, mm-hmm. um, especially over the last couple of years where we've had COVID and she was doing home at school. And so I was her teacher in many respects. I was her hands to help her write and do her writing assignments. I was helping her learn how to use um, a special computer, um, her eye gaze that allowed her to do some of her schoolwork. And so it really did become even more consuming than just I'm giving her a bath and getting her dressed and making sure she has her food and, you know, making sure that her airway is clear that was the norm, but all of the additional things on top of it. Right. Um, to the point where it was like, there were a couple of different times that I'd go in and help her and I came out and my three-year-old's on top of the fridge. Right. So yeah. <laughs> that was just life. Yeah. Know? Yeah. So help me um, and help our listeners understand. So Maggie is um, neurotypical. So she was, yeah. she wanted to learn. She was excited to do these things. Her body was just yeah. limiting her from yeah. the ability to do those things. And then yeah, you also so- said that she, I mean, you can fill in these gaps, but then my other f- comment with that is then you said that her death came kind of out of the blue. And so help us yeah. bridge that gap there. Oh yeah. So let's go back there. Um, so she, we had been really, really blessed throughout COVID that she had not been hospitalized. So a typical winter for us was like four or five hospitalizations every winter. Right. Um, for all like two to three weeks, she was intubated for at least a week for each of those, um, on full ventilation. Um, so that's what a typical winter looks for us, like for us. So, um, we started out not having that, um, she really hadn't been sick. So this was very out of the blue. Um, that morning I remember, um, her little brother, I guess two at the time, had decided that he wanted to go to school with older brother and just decided to take off and like Uh-oh. run down. Like, so just this was just a very typical day for us that, you know, I was in and out of her room helping her with school, checking on things. Um, she'd had a school, like one-on-one working with the, the resource teacher. Um, she just finished her lesson there and was just in her room playing on her eye gaze device, um, messing around and watching Netflix and coloring pictures and doing things that eight-year-old girls like to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had lunch and I thought, you know, I haven't heard her eye gaze for a few minutes. I haven't heard the sound and it talking. Um, I should go check on her. And at that point in time, the baby was just being super cute. He's like three months old and just starting to get all the big smiles and stuff. And so I kind of put it off for a second. And then I have this thought again, you need to go check on her. And so I, you know, kind of got up to check on her and the baby starts laughing and giggling. And um, so after a few minutes, I did finally get up and go in and check on her. And I walked in and she was completely unresponsive. Um, she was grayish in color, um, which no special needs mom ever wants to see your picture. Right. Um, and 
basically what had happened is her, she had had a little bit of mucus, ended up with a mucus plug and it had blocked her airway. Um, and so then of course her heart stopped to try and preserve everything. She went into cardiac arrest. Um, so I, you know, I yelled at my husband and he came in and started, um, trying to revive her as we were on the phone with 911 and, um, Anyway, the, the paramedics came and were able to get her, get a pulse and get her at least back alive again. Mm-hmm. Um, but at that point, we, we really had no idea how long she had been like that. Mm-hmm. Um, it, we knew it had probably been more than five or six minutes and the likelihood of her having severe brain damage if she did survive was extremely high. Right. Um, so that was kind of what we went into the hospitalization with is really not knowing what to expect, yeah. having something completely out of the blue, yeah. which in some ways was a blessing um, where she had not already been in the hospital for two or three weeks and we hadn't been like already watching her digress that it just, it was a blessing and then it was so quick. Right. Um, but that they were also to revive her enough that our family got two or three days at the hospital to kind of have closure. Right. And they told us um, when we got there and they'd kind of, they got her hooked up to all the, um, all the different wires and things to monitor her brain activity and seizures and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they had told us that there's still some brain activity there, but we don't really know what that's going to look like. Right. Um, she opens her eyes. That's a good thing. If she makes any kind of um, motions, like she's coming back, waking up out of it, then that's a really good sign. But, we just have to kind of wait and see. So they said our best bet is that there probably is severe brain damage. Right. And that even if she does come back, she's not going to be the same little girl that you've had. Right. And that, the overwhelming thing for me was that through all of this, my body kept saying, just screams like yeah. you need to feel this pain, this anguish. Yeah. Um, and I couldn't like, I just through the whole thing. I just felt peace. Yeah. And that was not at all what I expected. Right. And it was beautiful that that was what happened. And I know that's not the case for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, but for us, it was. Yeah. Um, and then I think that, so anyway, we, we ended up having a couple of days. We did some really cute artwork. Um, one of her favorite things was to do crafts uh, with mom. And she loved to paint. And so we had each of our boys help make a sign that says love. And mm-hmm. we, we painted the L and then had her hand be the O. Mm. And painted it with her feet and put it in the shape of a V. Yeah. And then painted the little E. So they each have a sign from their sister Aww. that they helped her. That's so um, special. 
And that was, you know, when they told us, spend the next couple of days make to make memories with her. Right. Thought, How do you make memories with somebody who really isn't there? Yeah. And isn't really aware of what's going on. Um, and there were a lot of tender mercies with that, that we, we knew that she was there still. Yeah. Um, and things that, that I think our boys will be able to remember as well. Um, yeah. But uh, ultimately she did end up passing. And that was, that was also a very beautiful experience. Um, I was able to, lay next to her in the hospital bed and just cradle her in my arms mm. and just be there with her as her mom yeah, and be able to do what I could to support her in that moment. Yeah. We're transitioned from this life to the next. Yeah. Um, it was beautiful. Mm. So, well, and it's just um, amazing that what I love so much about your story, like I said, is the grace that you have for yourself, for everyone involved of just choosing so purposefully to let this be beautiful. Like you said, you had that humanness come up that I just want to scream and just be angry, right? Such a human part of this grief and this experience. And you are able to stay so present and, and just really drink in all of the beauty and the tender mercies and the glory of, of her life, the eight years that you had with her and the beauty and helping her pass and all of it. I'm just, I'm in awe of you and, and of your experience. So thank you so much for sharing. That's amazing. So tell us though, before we end, what does your life look like now? Um, well, I found I found a lot of purpose, um, which has really been a big thing for me. Um, that that was the thing, as I said a little bit earlier, that I just felt like I was kind of missing. You know, what is my purpose now that I'm not mom and caregiver and uh, full time teacher and right and all? What do I do? Um, you know, I'm still mom to my boys, right? Uh, not, um, but I felt like there was something that I needed to do mm -hmm. to keep me in some ways connected to her. Right. So the thing that I've kind of channeled that energy into is I remember for her, the, the most meaningful part of her hospitalization was to work with the art therapist and the music therapist. Mm -hmm. and, um, and so I thought, you know what? Those are the people that they always need the resources mm -hmm. and just ideas of things to do to keep these kids from going stir crazy when they're just stuck in the hospital room for days and weeks and months on end. Yeah. Um, so our, our church here in this area has got, I kind of came up with a bunch of projects that they could work on that were primarily related to holidays and things like that, because it's never fun to be stuck in the hospital over holidays. Right. You're missing out on trick-or-treating and Thanksgiving dinner and all of those things. Mm -hmm. um, and so we went to the different youth groups 
in the various wards in our area and said, hey, help us put together these kits. And so I think at this point, we started that in July or August, and it's now, well, just through the end of the year, through December, I think we had created around 1,200 kits that we sent to the Children's Hospital here in Austin. Mm. And it's been such an amazing experience for me to be part of that and to know that hopefully there's some kids in the hospital that's getting something from that or that it's providing oh, yeah. some kind of opportunity for mom and child or dad and child or an aunt or an uncle to have those meaningful moments and to really connect with that child when they can. Yeah. That's such a beautiful way for you to have gone. Yeah. I mean, I can't imagine yet, you know, I haven't been through this type of an experience yet, but I have tried to put myself in that situation of when you spend so much of your time, the majority of your time, probably 98% being that caregiver and mom for a special needs child um, that needs that level of attention. What do you do when you don't do that anymore? And again, it's, it's so um, beautiful to me that you have filled that void with a way to stay connected to Maggie through serving and loving and uplifting other families that have been in the shoes that you've, that you lived in for eight years, you know, just absolutely beautiful. So thank you so much. That that does get filled by the other things I've had to definitely carve out the time to serve uh, because my boys do fill up all the time that they didn't have before. Mm. And that's, that's also amazing. Um, to yeah. be able to have more time with them. Yeah. Um, but I think service is an amazing way to um, to kind of bridge that gap of how do you have the purpose that you need, and and that for me has been the answer. Yeah, for sure. That's so amazing. So beautiful, Chelsea. Oh my gosh, our listeners are going to find so much courage and hope in your story. And this is what we're trying to do is just offer the beauty in these lives to others so that they can feel some hope and feel uplifted. And, and I'm just, again, so grateful that you were willing to come on and share your thoughts and, and be so vulnerable in sharing, you know, all of the, the pain and the heartache as well as the beauty and the peace and the joy in your life. So thank you so much for doing that. Um, we, uh, like to close by reminding everyone of our mantra, which is the happiness of your life depends on the quality of your thoughts. And I truly can see how you have been so good at managing your mind through all of this to try and keep clean thinking as much as is possible. Grief, grief is so hard. And, you know, you have done a great job of, of having that beauty in your mind to express it outward into the world. And so that's so amazing. Wonderful. So grateful for that. And then we like to take a deep breath because yeah, sometimes it gets heavy. It does sometimes sometimes. very emotional and heavy for sure. It's a lot of work and it's a challenge. So we think that it's important to take brain breaks, to find the humor, to find, you know, happiness. Yeah. Shift and laugh and all of that. And so we end every episode with a, would you rather, and the one that I found for this week 
um, I thought of this one because uh, we recently Alicia posted about National Pizza Day, I guess was recently. Yeah, we had National Pizza Day in honor of my son, who ha- is a Hirschsprung's warrior, and we spent the hospital, uh, spent the da- that day in the hospital, and he ate pizza like three times a day. He always just wanted to order a pizza. He was two years old. And so, and then I learned that day that we had had pizza for breakfast and dinner that it was National Pizza Day. So I'm like, <laughs> okay, on February 9th, every year, we're going to honor National Pizza Day because that's his day. Yeah. It was so special. Yeah. So we, um, that's what made me think of this. Would you rather, would you rather eat pizza without cheese or without sauce? Oh, that's easy for Chelsea, me. you tell us. <laughs> what, what would you rather? I think I'm going without sauce. Cause you just can't have pizza without cheese. Yeah. <laughs> it's so funny. I have seen people like the dairy free community eats, you know, they're like, yeah, you just don't put the cheese on it. Yeah. And I'm like, your spinach on there. Your spinach? <laughs> yeah. Your spinach and your whatever else you're going to yeah, have. Yeah, you just do like the toppings and not the cheese. And no, I actually prefer cheese bread to pizza. So Same. I'm going cheese all the way. All the way. Oh my gosh, all of us are cheese. How yeah. did that work cheesy out? Cheesy people right here. We're cheesy people. <laughs> yeah. I, I love me some bread sticks with cheese. Yeah. My sister and I, we used to order fat sticks from Fat Jacks at the time in Ephraim. And we'd get them when we were pregnant with our kids oh my gosh yeah fat sticks our and older ranch. sister christy yeah so, mm, yeah that was fun well again chelsea thank you for joining us and thank you for having bless me. you for sure bless you angel mama yep all right well thank you everybody for joining us on another episode of the clarity call and we will see you next week You've been listening to The Clarity Call with Alicia and Kimberly. Find additional episodes of the program on any popular podcast app or search Apple iTunes. You may also subscribe to The Clarity Call to catch every episode. If you've enjoyed the content of this podcast, we invite you to share it and please leave a rating and review of our program. If you'd like to connect with Alicia and Kimberly on social media, you can find them on Instagram as The Clarity Call or on Facebook under Clarity Call. They can also be reached by email at theclaritycall at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and supporting our program.